So yes. if we just introduce what this was, just a podcast on digitisation. Yes, uh, number nine, I think, isn't it, in our yeah. series? Yeah. Yes, yes, well, number nine in our series of podcasts. Uh, and yeah. we are with... <laughs> Uh, my name is Ed Pinsons. I'm a digital archivist here at uh, the University of London. Uh, my name is Stephanie Taylor. I yeah, digital preservation digital team. Preservation yeah. team. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I forgot this. Yes. <laughs> so um, I'm Catherine, and I'm with Ehi, and we're just going to be asking some questions. Okay. okay. Fire away. So yes. obviously we're yeah. newbies when it comes to this sort of thing. So if you were to define digitisation, how would you do that? I just call it a process, really, a process of conversion, okay. transformation. And you can easily just stick a piece of paper under a photocopier these days. And if you press the right buttons, you will have an image suddenly sent to you as an email of that piece of paper. It just does scale that up, and you've got the possibility of anything that's on paper could become a digital image. Um, and you could also apply that same principle to anything that isn't computer-based, anything we might call analog material, such as audio or even audio-visual content. It's possible to digitize um, films and videotapes, as well as audio tapes. All of these things can be rendered into digital equivalents. And you could not only take a picture of a piece of text, you could even go a bit further and transform it into something called machine-readable text, which is even more exciting. And that's proven very useful for um, libraries who wish to digitise books. So why would you say it's such an important thing for people to consider? There's so many reasons. Uh, people can come into it for all kinds of uh, reasons. Um, you could protect a fragile collection if it's, you know, the paper uh, material is, is decaying or is damaged in some way. You could um, digitize it and you would show that to people rather than the original and you try and slow down the decay of the original item. You could reach more people because if you publish digitized content on the web there's a chance that you'll gain a new audience. More people will be able to see stuff. Uh, there's an example of that just happening in this building right now. I saw a colleague of mine last year or earlier this year. Um, she's doing something to do with um, Medieval manuscripts, I think, and seals, a uh, very, very specialist area of study, and I've, I've forgotten exactly what it relates to. But the point is, there's very little of this content in the world, written on parchment, you know, in this old, old medieval hand. But it's distributed, you see, amongst different museums and libraries and archives around the world. The plan of this coordinated digitisation effort is to bring it all together into one place. So that all the content could be seen through one portal and all the finding aids and catalogues could also be shared amongst scholars. Now, you think of what it would take um, in the old world, so to speak, if you really wanted to see all of that content. You, you know, you've got loads of plane flights to different libraries and archives, get all these different reader tickets. You know, it's, um, it, it, it's something of a huge overhead. Yeah, Digitalisation gets I think, yeah. gets I think also, there. there's also, um, you couldn't physically mm. bring these objects together. The, the risk of the travel insurance, all those kind of things, to bring these very precious objects together would be just too much in the physical. And there's been quite a lot of, especially medieval history, that has benefited from digitisation because uh, researchers can look at the whole thing, as Ed is saying, mm. together. So uh, it, it's quite a, a big thing for, for scholarship and research as well. I mean, this is just the beginning. I mean, yeah. What's going to happen is that the more and more content becomes digitised, 
the more you've got the chance of doing comparative studies, you can aggregate content, statistics, uh, there's all kinds of possibilities open up to you and it becomes much easier to do. There's still more reasons why you would do this. I mean, um, there, there would be a business records related reason. Um, whereby, well, this happens quite a lot, a business decides one day that storing paper is too expensive and creating paper is too expensive, so they think, um, well, wouldn't it be great if we could scan everything? And um, sometimes these projects work out and sometimes they don't because the people who initiate the project don't realise how expensive it can be and they don't realise all the work that's involved and they especially don't realise the, um, well, the amount of metadata that you have to create in order for it to work. Uh, but um, yeah, it can, it can pass on a saving eventually. I think uh, also that some uh, some commercial outfits see it as a greater efficiency as well. So if you can digitise things that are paper, it becomes more searchable. Um, it, it's more of an efficiency within the business. We've seen that quite a lot as a reason as well. That's true. It's more efficient. So uh, I'm trying to think what else. Yeah, archives benefit, libraries benefit, researchers benefit. Um, I think also you can share, Ed's mentioned yeah. sharing with a wider audience, but we've also had people on courses that we've done um, who have, for example, wanted to digitise things that are quite old and precious, but so that children, school children, can interact with them in, cl in a classroom situation. So you're never going to give a Tudor manuscript to an eight-year-old. <laughs> However, if you've got a digital copy that they can play around with, um, explore and, and work with, it, it opens up a whole new level of interaction for them. Okay. So how would one go about digitising a project like that? Is there a specific method, software? Well, it's funny you jump straight to software, you see. <laughs> as, as, um, one of the things that, well, well, what we advocate is not jumping straight to software. And what we advocate is plan, plan, plan and plan again. <laughs> and think very, very carefully before you even initiate any kind of digitisation project. So uh, yes, uh, there's methods for doing that. Uh, it's, it's basically a very sophisticated form of project management mm -hmm. um, that involves talking to your stakeholders, understanding the collections, understanding what use people intend to make of it, seeing whether you can support the, the outputs of any kind of digitization project and go on supporting them, um, thinking very carefully about whether you are actually meeting a need or whether you're just doing it because you feel like it. Often a project does do that, almost on a whim, they think, you know, let's just digitise this collection because uh, people are bound to be interested. And they waste an awful lot of money. Uh, it's, it's a very time-consuming thing to do. Um, so then you've got to think about stuff like copyright and legal uh, aspects, you know, can we legally make digitised versions of this content? And if we do, can we distribute them without breaking the law? all kinds of considerations. I, I wish people would think about all these things, even though it appears to be de deferring the project, mm. before they start thinking about purchasing a scanner. Mm. Yeah. I uh, think also uh, from our perspective as well with the, the archives and library side, uh, digitisation is time consuming and expensive and often requires specialist staff. So it's a big investment and we also like people to think about how to get it right, as Ed's saying, for the audiences, but also for the longer term. So they're creating uh, digital content that can be preserved as well, so it will endure. But uh, I don't mean to shout at you about software <laughs> and uh, IT. I mean, there are standards you can follow, and it's a very good idea to follow standards, because you don't want to steal yourself off and just go into a, 
a little silo where the collection will only work on your platform in your building, in your systems, this kind of thing. So you should use file formats to save the content in which are robust and recognised and work outside, you know, uh, uh, conform to standards in other words. And particularly if you intend to commercialise the content, which uh, is yet another reason why you might want to do it, because you might want to sell the scans in some way. Um, and also, when you're doing the scanning, yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of things you should do about ensuring consistency. And this is one of the hardest things to manage, and people always get it wrong, especially if you've got 10 people doing the scanning. You should give them very clear specifications about what you expect. Uh, and it's not putting the thing under the scanner that's difficult, it's the save as stage. That's where things always go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> You've uh, yeah. preempted my yeah, question, yes. <laughs> yes. which was yes. um, yeah. the challenges that people come yeah. across. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's one of them, yes, yeah. the, the save as management thing. Um, other challenge would be they don't realise what they're getting into. Um, if the project is not scoped or defined properly, they'll suddenly run out of money before they uh, mm. complete it, you know, and that the budget was not adequate because they, they didn't reckon on what it was going to take. You know, it's, mm. It really is incredibly time consuming. Mm. Then you've got an overhead of the stuff that you're creating. I mean, people think that this is neutral in some way, but the scans take up space on the server. And especially if you do them properly, they can be quite big resources. And um, you know, if you if you didn't tell your IT manager what you were doing, um, <laughs> you might run out of space before you know where you are. Um, and the other thing, which is a corollary of that, um, is people don't think about keeping it in the long term, or at least they don't give enough planning to that. And we would say we, you should plan uh, with the assumption that you're going to keep these resources for a very long time because you should regard them as an investment, as an asset that you spend a lot of time creating. And um, it's not just some surrogate, it's not just like a load of photocopies or something. It's, um, you know, it's, it's down to chance of being a very, very useful thing. Mm. So I would like to see some kind of long-term planning built in um, to make sure that it doesn't get deleted, that there's space for it, you know, it's backed up, it's retrievable. And that becomes another project on top of just creating the stuff. Because mm. then it starts to shade into a preservation plan. So... Um Regarding yeah. money-wise, is it quite a lot to digitization product? Is there funding or anything like that for? There is funding, yeah, yeah. Um, it's how a lot of them get started, isn't it? Yeah, there, there are most of the funding councils, um, and especially things uh, around heritage, will offer funding in this area. Um, also, businesses and organisations can often see a commercial benefit to doing that. So there may be internal funding that people can tap into. Um, Ed's mentioned things like being able to uh, commercialise and sell yeah. maybe scanned images um, or offer uh, greater interaction with the collections and these kind of things. So there is money around but it's, it's very sensible to plan through thoroughly what you want to do and make sure that funding, whether it's internal or external, is going to cover everything that you're going to need um, and scale your project accordingly. Yeah, uh, it's a Mellon Foundation, isn't it? Who I always seem to think they fund a lot of these projects. They do, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. There are various, um, various places that would do that. Um, but don't they get something in return? Don't they get copies of the content? I think so. Yes, it depends yes. on what the nature yes. is. I think yes. of the of each yes. project and what what yeah. people are doing that yeah. for. 
Um, there were some quite big digitisation moves by um, Google and Microsoft oh, yeah. a while ago. Yes. Although they, they, I think yes, they yes. stopped doing that. They did a, a mass digitisation of, of yeah. books um, at British Library, the Bodley yes. and various other places around the world. Um, yeah, the Internet Archive tried to do something like that as well. The Internet Archive yeah, has yeah, done yes, some of that yes. kind of stuff. Yeah. I think they did early books, but then mm. ran into problems with copyright um, yeah. past the yes. 19th century. Exactly. So. I know we've moved on from that question, but yeah. that, is another, <laughs> another, yeah, that is another big challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is copyright. Yeah, copyright yeah, is, is a, yes, yes. an issue. Yes. And it, again, it's worth yeah. going into that. That was another one of my questions. Okay, yes, yes. It's good that it's come through it. Yeah, the Internet Archive, you can browse in there and you can see all kinds of out-of-copyright material has been scanned and so on, but uh, it's, it's really hard to retrieve. See, the Internet Archive is not really... Uh, how can I put this? And they're doing a great job, but they aren't, they aren't like a memory institution. So they're not committed to curation and they don't do catalogues, they don't do finding aids, they don't do metadata. They just rely on whatever the uploader supplies and they try to index it as best they can but it's not great it's not consistent uh, i think that's fair isn't it yeah it's yeah, not, it uh, is, yes. yeah. It's not going to bring down a wrath of brewster kale it's it's a bit of a jumble but um on the other hand they digitize stuff which nobody else would um as i always say the internet archive it's it's, it's they've got the biggest collection of grateful dead concert tapes of anywhere in the world it's a fantastic resource if you like the Grateful Dead your quid's in <laughs> so uh, you guys mentioned a lot about planning um, I'm guessing that's one of the key elements to a successful project is there any other key elements you think would be important I, I think there's a, a well I think there's a, a big question around whether you do the, the actual digitisation work yourselves in house or whether you, you outsource that to someone. Um, it is kind of a, a part of the planning stage, but it's, I think it's important enough to be a thing by itself, whereby you are really certain about what you want to do, whether you're doing it internally or whether you're outsourcing. So you're very clear on, as Ed's mentioned, all the things like what file formats you're going to be using, um, what resolution images are going to be scanned to, all those kinds of areas, so that you don't waste time and money and end up with something that isn't suitable. Um, and I think there are, well, we, we go into, um, on the course, we do go into the, the kind of the pros and cons um, areas of, of doing this but I think I wouldn't favour one over another but you just again you need to be really really prepared and brief people really well about what they're doing. Yeah I would say uh, the same really it's, um, it's to be clear why you're doing it mm. because then that, that will impact on the, all the decisions you make and you've really got to think far in advance to what the final end point is going to be and what use you expect to have made of this content. Mm -hmm. uh, there was one particular project I was involved in which it did actually involve scanning for, a, for an organisation and uh, the person who initiated it had not really thought about what use their staff was going to make of these scanners. And uh, I had to explain in the report, I mean, uh, you realise there's a difference between a JPEG and OCR, for instance. Yeah. Because if, if we could just do black and white JPEGs, that'd be really cheap, but you know, um, they're, they're mute, they're not machine readable. Uh, you, can, you can understand them, a human being can understand them if you look at them on the screen, but uh, if you're expecting to search the text that's embodied in those pages, you, you come unstuck. Now, that sounds kind of obvious, but that's a stage they hadn't reckoned with, and it, there wasn't even clarity amongst the team or the staff as to which would be best. 
Uh, some of them said, oh, we don't care, you know, this is just something management came up with. Mm. But some of them said, no, we, we, we absolutely got to be able to search this stuff or it's, yeah. it's useless. Um, so it's, it's worth bearing that in mind. That, that is a classic. It's, it's a classic, um, uh, not, not planning. <laughs> yes, yes, a classic there are, there are certain uh, expectations, issues, yes. and I think mm-hmm. one of the, the kind of myths that we need to bust around digitisation is that just by making a digital copy, it will be searchable. Mm-hmm. If, if it's text, and it won't be. Mm-hmm. But there's often a, a sort of knowledge gap, and people just expect by digitising something that is text, they're going to be able to search it and they build whole follow-on projects based on what should be OCR and isn't, and then they can't actually do the follow-on work that they expect. So um, that is one of the, the classic myths around it. <laughs> and conversely, there's, there's another case of where people didn't understand about um, serving images over the web and the images they tried to serve were just far too big. You know, the resolution was enormous. But they thought, well, this is what our users require. You know, we must have the best possible quality images served. And um, they did this heedless of the fact that it was really chewing up bandwidth and causing the internet for the rest of the organisation to slow down. Um, and apparently, because they didn't know that you could make a 72 DPI image, they thought that this is all we've got. <laughs> they happened to be 600 DPI TIFFs. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so this is the kind of thing. Um, you see, your, 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 your user need will translate into a technical requirement, is what I'm trying to say. It is, and mm-hmm. I think, I mean, Ed's already said mm-hmm. that, I think the most successful projects mm-hmm. that we've seen have been where people have actually started with what they want to be able to do with the content once it's digitised and then work backwards, so identified the audience and what they expect those users to be doing with the content and then work backwards to the point where they're actually digitising, so they, they fill in as they go about what they need to be able to get to that end aim. Yep. It's really important to do it that way around, I think. Totally. And you've got to know the collections. You've know, you really got to know the original source material so you can make an informed decision. Yeah. Um, a simple little thing, like you could ask the question of the, the people doing the project, do you think your users need to see this in colour? And they should think long and hard about that, because if they don't, there's a chance we can make an enormous saving in terms of resolution of images and server space. A, a colour image of the exact same um, resource is, is eight times as big. Mm. Okay. <laughs> um, you guys have basically answered all the rest of my oh, questions. Yes. Sorry. Which is good, no, it's good. Yes. It means that you guys are really good at exactly knowing what exactly about digitisation. I wonder if it would be good to talk a little bit about the, what you guys are offering at the moment. In January. In January on the course? Yeah. Uh, Yes, it's just another um, instance of the course we last ran in September. Uh, It's just an open public course where we'll we'll try and get you from start to finish on a a digitisation project. Uh, We'll try and cover most of the stuff we've talked about. Um, Lots of planning, bit of copyright, um, standards for how you would do save as, file formats and so on. But also, at the end, we demonstrate various access mechanisms, and that's jolly interesting, because there's loads of links you can find of archival and library catalogues, and it's just a way of opening people's eyes to the possibilities of how you could expose this content to people. And um, some of them are sophisticated, some of them are basic, but as long as it meets a need, that's fine. Uh, What I always like, and my ideal would be, it should be able to serve the resource and the catalogue on the screen at the same time. And um, that um, may sound like a simple request, but it's, it's not always that easy to meet. And I think the best systems that I've seen are those that 
they manage to keep the catalogue entry on the screen along with the resource that you're looking at. And those are the ones we like. <laughs> hey, do you have anything to ask? Uh, just, I can just see one question here. It just says, who should be interested in this course? Oh, who should be interested? Yeah, who is um, content ideal. It, well, I think anybody who's thinking of doing a um, a digitization project, just so they they, they know where to start, it, it might help them. But um, we're not the only offering out there. I mean, they they ought to start with um, the Impact Centre of Conference uh, Competence in in Europe, uh, digitization.eu. They've got a very strong. Um, how can I put it? They're, they're very professional in terms of how they understand and teach digitization. And um, it, it's a very good starting point if you live in Europe. On the other hand, they, they don't do a face-to-face -face course at the moment, and we do. So I think we're the only offering in the UK just now, because um, uh, the, the JISC used to have a specialist body that did this, JISC Digital Media. But unfortunately, they've been uh, they've been disbanded now because of all the cuts at the JISC. Um, so they're not doing it. I, I think even their web page is gone now. So a lot of their online resources aren't available. Um, great I think, uh, and I think on yeah. the the course mm -hmm. that we ran um, mm -hmm. earlier in twenty sixteen, as I've mentioned, it was really interesting to see how many different projects we got. So we did attract people who were. Um, either at the start of a digitisation project or thinking of bidding one for one or had kind of got the plans in place for the funding but wanted to do the next thing. Um, we had a real variety of people, so we had some people from commercial companies who were looking, as, as Ed had mentioned, to digitise um, business-related records and papers and legal documents. Um, we had people who were interested in looking at photographic collections. Um, we had someone, uh, I think, from broadcasting, they were, they were interested in the basics for, for looking at doing um, audio-visual and audio kinds of stuff. We had, I think we had someone from a... A museum, a gallery. Yeah, um, I believe you're right. I yes, think. Yes, and, um, uh, yeah, picture librarians as well. Picture librarians. We, we, we really did yeah. get. A, we also yes, had a, a, someone from a, a university looking at, at research materials. Uh, someone mm -hmm. from an academic library. Yes. So we got a real wide range of people, um, and we hope. Well, the feedback indicated we were useful to them all, but it was also <laughs> great to see them interacting with each other as well. Um, so we, we leave some space in the course for people to, to talk to each other and, and do little exercises and things. And um, I think it's really valuable that actually being able to attract such a wide variety of people, I think there was also an element of them learning from each other and people being at slightly different stages and in different sectors. I think the people with the business and legal needs are very interesting as well. If, if I had my way I would do a whole course or at least one module just devoted to their needs alone because mm. uh, they, they've got a very specific problem to do with um, authentication uh, and integrity of the content. What it comes down to is that if they're proposing to scan in a warehouse full of paper as these people wear and then get rid of the paper would the scans be admissible in court? And um, how could they prove that they were actually copies of what they purported to be? I don't have a glib answer to that, but um, there's, there's, thing, there's various steps you can take. But uh, I think what it comes down to is the, the, uh, the chain of custody, the process of creation has to be much more carefully recorded so that that in itself becomes an auditable thing. You could, if called upon, present as evidence 
the way that you created these scans mm. and it's been fully documented and uh, you can match that work against the actual stuff you've got stored on the server mm. and say, you know, we didn't just knock this together. It's, it's, not, a, it's, yeah. not, it's not a load of forgeries. Yeah. <laughs> it's the real things. And, uh, but it, I mean, again, yeah, that was uh, an interesting point because they, they went away having, um, you know, kind of roughed out a, a kind of call to action for themselves to that was really important for them and that was something that they needed to do before they undertook the project was to to really understand in their own sector and with their own particular business the implications of that yeah they really yeah. had to define that legal yeah. requirement yeah. I think so they went back on to tackle yes. senior management yes. with, uh, with some <laughs> tough questions on that before they started doing the work which was useful yep. it's a valid thing I mean it's uh, I don't think we've yet had a court case that I know of anyway that sets a precedent in this area where um, you know uh, an electronic document or a digitised scan of something has been uh, it's, it's slightly different. So an, a, yes, an electronic yes. document that is created electronically is different. That is admissible. But that's when something is actually only ever existed in yeah, digital like format. Like an email or something. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The the difference here is whether the as I said the integrity of the scanned mm-hmm. and whether that can be a true um, a yeah. true rendition of the paper original. Yes. Yep. Oh, that's great. Very interesting. <laughs> it is, isn't it? I've learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> can I come yeah. to the course? <laughs> well, we'll see how it goes. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, uh, I think people always feel exhausted by the end of it, don't they? No, well, I always worry we're giving them too much. I think it's a, yeah. a day that yes. where we aim to cover as much as possible for people and, and really give them a head start. Um, I like to think that when people come on this course and other courses that we do that we sort of, you know, we're kind of arming them to tackle yeah. the things when they get yeah. back to work um, with whatever that needs to be. So I like to make sure that they um, they understand stuff and also that they can follow on themselves if they need to go more in depth with an area, they're then empowered to, as, as the people with the, the copyright and the, the legal side are empowered to go and find out more about it. So. And the course was in, was it in January? The it is in January 17th, 17th of January. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I think we've got booking open now okay. for that course. Brilliant.